your phone may be listening to you for real this time. Google may also be doing away with geolocation warrants, even though they kind of enabled it, but here we are. An important FOSS story that we missed last week and much, much more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 160, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest headline news from the past week. I am Nathan from The New Oil. I'm Henry from TechLore. Our promo segment this week, same as always, we have Patreon. If you are interested in supporting us in an ongoing fashion and getting some perks in return for $5 a month or more, you get to be part of the Q&A. And as usual, we got some good questions that'll be dropping later this week. For $10 a month or more, you get the expanded version that has more jokes, more insight, more analysis, the usual stuff. By the way, for the record, you can give less than $5 or $10. You just won't get those perks necessarily. If you don't like Patreon or don't care about the perks, totally understand on both of those counts. We have LibrePay, which is a more privacy respecting way to support us in a recurring automated fashion you don't really have to think about. And then last but not least, we always have Monero, which is the most anonymous way to keep us going. So three ways to support us if you want to help keep the podcast going. And of course, if you cannot afford to, sharing, liking, subscribing, commenting, the whole nine. So thank you guys for keeping us going. And with that, we'll jump into the highlight story. We had a lot of good stories this week. We had a hard time picking one, but this one is definitely a really big claim, if true. It says, marketing company claims that it actually is listening to your phone and smart speakers to target ads. Now, a quick piece of context for those who don't know, who may be new here. Up until now, there is actually no evidence that phones do that. It's a rumor that keeps going around, and they even say this in the article, because targeted advertising has become so freaking good that it's almost like it's reading your mind. And also, like on that note, some people have actually tried to analyze and do legitimate research. It's not just a speculation. People have done actual research trying to prove that phones collect microphone data when you don't know about them, and it uses it for targeting, and there's just no evidence for it. We don't have the evidence for, for it. I was going to mention that. They've, they've done studies where they put an Android and an iPhone in a room, and they wire shark them. And, you know, unless the phones are like converting everything into text and then sending text files, but even then, what if it gets the transcription wrong? It's really not an efficient way of doing things. But anyways, getting back on topic up till now, no evidence, but now we have this new company. So this is a marketing team with Cox Media Group who claims that it has the ability to listen to ambient conversations of consumers through the embedded microphones in smartphones, smart TVs, and other devices to gather data and use it to target ads. They call it active listening, and they claim that the capability can identify potential customers based on casual conversations in real time. According to 404 Media, it is not immediately clear if the capability CMG is advertising and claims works is being used on devices in the market today, but the company notes, quote, a marketing technique fit for the future available today, unquote. 404 also found a representative of the company on LinkedIn explicitly asking people who are interested to contact them about the product. One marketing professional pitched by CMG on the text said a CMG representative explained the prices of the service to them, which I don't think the article linked. The website says, what would it mean for your business if you could target potential clients who are actively discussing their need for your services in their day-to-day conversations? No, it's not a Black Mirror episode. It's voice data, and CMG has the capabilities to use it to your business advantage, unquote. Clients can claim a territory where they want to use CMG services, which are available in a 10 or 20 mile radius, according to the website. After setup, quote, active listening begins and is analyzed via AI to detect pertinent conversations via smartphones, smart TVs, and other devices, unquote. CMG also claims that it installs a tracking pixel on its client's website to monitor the return on investment. With an audience created, CMG then delivers adverts to people through streaming TV, streaming audio, display ads, YouTube, and Google and Bing search, the website says. 
Neither CMG nor Cox Communications responded to a request for comment. 404 outlines several ways they attempted to get a hold of these people, and in none of these instances were they successful in getting someone to respond and answer questions. So, like the article said, we don't know if this is currently on the market or if this is something that's like coming soon. I, I know you have thoughts on this one. I don't have many thoughts. I'll just share along my theory here, which is I don't think they actually have this capability for smartphones. I think that their marketing is very clever because we see this a lot with kind of misleading services that claim to be able to do massive surveillance. And then when you actually get into the nitty gritty, it makes sense how they do it, but it is a little bit of hype and a little bit of extra marketing. I just don't know what technological way they would be able to accomplish this because smartphones aren't designed in a way where the microphone can just be turned on in the background. And now that you say that out loud, that does, now that I'm kind of thinking about it a little more, I think you're right because number one, I mean, not to be difficult and pedantic, but the microphone could be turned on in the background, but that's usually like a really advanced spyware capability. Like, a, like Pegasus or something like that. And number two, that begs the question of how are they turning on and accessing the microphone in the first place? Like, is, is that a, a feature they can inject into an app? But even then, if they're going to do that, like you said, like the app has to request microphone permissions. You're right. This is raising a lot of questions. I think it's BS. Not complete BS. I just think it's kind of marketing BS. There's probably a kernel of truth in there somewhere. Right. Like, I wouldn't be surprised because I think it has been shown that some smart TVs actually can collect microphone data and it's shared with third parties and whatnot. And then they also just generally say other devices. So if they can find any other device to gather data to target ads, then what they're saying is technically true. But again, I could be totally be wrong. I don't think either of us are saying we know what's going on here. You make some good arguments, though. All right, and now we're going to go into data breaches, and we are still considering what to do with data breaches. We did see some of your feedback, so thank you all for sharing along how we should handle data breaches going forward. We don't have too much to cover today, so we're just going to go right through it, but we are keeping all that in mind. First stories from Delta Dental of California. Data breach exposed information to 7 million people, and this is from Move It, which is still happening. And this is a dental insurance provider that covers people across 15 states, and it includes names, financial account numbers, and credit and debit card numbers, including security codes, providing two years of free credit monitoring. Toyota warns customers of data breach exposing personal and financial info. So Toyota Financial Services, so basically if you actually financed a car with them, they have a presence in 90% of the markets where Toyota sells their car. This included full names, residence address, contract info, lease purchase details, and IBAN, which is international bank account number of German customers specifically. The article didn't really go into detail on how many people were affected. MongoDB says customer data was exposed in a cyber attack, and it includes metadata and contact information. And at this time, we're not aware of any exposure to the data that customers store in MongoDB Atlas. So this is metadata, and it recommends all customers enable MFA, multi-factor, on their accounts, rotate their passwords, and be vigilant against potential targeted phishing and social engineering attacks. Cold storage giant Americold discloses data breach after April malware attack. Americold is a cold storage and logistics giant, and they have confirmed that over 129,000 current and former employees and their dependents had personal information and stolen. This includes a combination of name, address, social security number, driver's license, or state ID number. Well, it says slash state ID number, so and or maybe. Passport number, financial account information, such as bank account and credit card numbers, and employment-related health insurance and medical information for each affected individual. Hackers popped a porn site for inflation fetishists. So this is a site called Inflate Vids, which is a site for people who enjoy balloons and large sculptural 
pool style vinyl toys. Includes users' emails, usernames, IP addresses, public profile information, and password hashes, which were compromised, and the site's admins wrote in a Patreon post about this. Have I Been Pwned said it included gender and SHA-1 password. Like many legitimate user-generated porn sites, inflate vids required ID to upload, but the admin said in that post that ID information wasn't part of the breach because they delete that information after submission. 10,000 people's data stolen from genetic testing company Asper Biogen Leak. I couldn't figure out exactly where this news website was from, but I think it's from Estonia. Asper Biogen, who specializes in the diagnosis of hereditary diseases, alerted the police, the State Information Systems Agency, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce, and the Data Protection Inspectorate on November 11th. It is not yet known exactly what was downloaded, but it is known that some of the files contain genetic testing results ordered by healthcare providers and individuals from the company. 40 healthcare companies have been affected, including fertility testing. So just to be clear, I don't think this is like a 23andMe thing where it's, you know, send us your DNA and we'll pretend to tell you where you're from. I think this was actual like medical testing. Also, it is Estonian. The source uh, is a dot EE TLD, which is an Estonian TLD. Next story. Uh, before I say it, just reminder, stay subscribed because it's an update to a story from last week, which is US healthcare giant Norton. It's not Norton antivirus. It's just a healthcare giant says hackers stole millions of patients data during the ransomware attack. And this is an update with numbers. So in the filing, they said that the sensitive data of 2.5 million patients as well as employees and their dependents was accessed during the May ransomware attack. Emphasis on their dependents. So not just employees. Norton found that hackers accessed a wide range of sensitive information, including names, dates of birth, social security numbers, health and insurance info, and medical identification numbers. Norton Healthcare says that for some individuals, the exposed data may have also included financial account numbers, driver's licenses, or other government IDs, as well as digital signatures. With that, we'll move into companies. So we do have a quick update to a story from last week, and it is good news. It says Apple will no longer give police users push notifications data without a warrant. Quoting the article, Apple's change in how it handles demands for push notifications data lands days after U.S. Senator Ron Wyden disclosed that Apple and Google can be, quote, secretly compelled by governments to hand over the contents of push notifications sent to customers' phones. For its part, Google requires a court-issued order before it will hand over push notification data. Apple did not respond to a request for comment or say for what reason it previously allowed law enforcement to obtain users' push notification data without a warrant, unquote. So just for anyone who missed the memo last week, Last week, we found out there was a big deal about apparently for years, the government, I'm assuming police at all levels, are able to go with to Apple and Google with a warrant. And long story short, when you re- download an app on your phone and you register for push notifications, Apple and Google store a little token that says, hey, this account is logged into this device and police can access that for any number of things. In some cases, they can get the content of the notification, not always, but in some cases, they could at very least know what device is yours and they could use that for some other data. So it it was pretty troubling stuff. Apple has apparently, according to them, they really haven't said much, but they said they were under some kind of gag order where they couldn't talk about it. Google, on the other hand, was like, yeah, no, we've always been putting this in our transparency reports. Now that it's public, Apple is saying they're going to start requiring a warrant. You know, a lot of the company stories this week, it's like two stories from the same company. So I'm just going to roll these into one. Apple introduces protection to prevent thieves from getting your passwords. Apple introduced new security settings with iOS 17.3, which is currently in beta for the record. So this will probably be out, I think they said in a few weeks. And it will prevent thieves from entering your password to get your info, including account passwords. The new protection includes the mandatory use of face ID or touch ID before performing sensitive actions like looking at passwords or using saved payment methods in Safari. Apple said that users will have to opt in. It's called stolen device protections. It is in settings, face ID and passcode, stolen device protection. 
Once you turn on the setting, the device will require biometrics for things like accessing iCloud keychain passwords, turning off lost mode, sending money from Apple Cash to your bank account, erasing all content and settings, and using your iPhone to set up a new device. Plus, certain actions will require biometric authentication along with a delay, such as changing your Apple ID password, adding or removing face ID or touch ID, disabling Find My, and turning off stolen device protections. Users will have to pass biometric authentication again after an hour of delay to complete these tasks for added security. For some people, this is a good idea. For some people, you should turn this on. For some people, this is not a good idea. I can see plenty of situations where this is a good thing. I can see plenty of situations where this is a bad thing. We're not saying everyone should go turn this on. That's up to you. That's up to your threat model. You have to walk it through your head and decide, is this going to help me or is this going to do more damage than good? But if you think it will help you, there it is. That's cool. And if you think it won't, it's not on by default and just don't turn it on. Google Maps gets new update to give users more control over their information. So Google Maps has announced that if you have chosen to turn location history on, your time will soon be saved right on your device. If you're getting a new phone or are worried about losing your existing one, you can always choose to back up your data to the cloud so it doesn't get lost. They'll automatically encrypt your backed up data so no one can read it, even including Google. And now when you first turn on location history, the auto delete control will be set to three months by default. And the option was previously set to 18 months. These changes will gradually roll out through the next year on Android and iOS and users will receive a notification when this update comes to their account. It's also worth noting, I've seen a lot of articles that tout this as like, Google is basically killing geolocation warrants with this, because now all that location stuff is gonna be on your device. Google's not gonna be able to turn it over with a warrant. Our next story comes from Meta, and well, it's either good or bad, depending on how you feel about it. So Meta has started testing threads integration with ActivityPub, which is, for those who don't know, that's the protocol that powers the quote-unquote Fediverse, Mastodon, PeerTube, pixel fed, all those kind of things. Mark Zuckerberg said today that Meta has started testing a feature to show threads posts on Mastodon and other ActivityPub protocol-supported networks. While this is an important step for the threads to be part of the federated social network, Zuckerberg didn't provide any detail on how the integration might work just yet. Hours after the announcement, multiple users reported that they could follow Instagram head Adam Mosseri through various Mastodon clients. However, his posts were not visible. Quick note, at least one post is now, because I didn't follow the guy, but I saw somebody had tagged him, and I was like, oh, interesting. So I clicked on it. And I did see like a test post or whatever. So users on Mastodon could also search for Moseri's Threads profile by typing at Moseri at threads.net, just like any other Mastodon handle. So hopefully they would be able to look for other Threads profiles in the future. It's not clear if the roadmap for Threads activity pub integration will let you easily cross post between Mastodon or other activity powered networks and Threads or move your data around. Rolling things into one, we have one more quick Thread story. Threads is now available in the EU. The threads.net website has a use without profile mode, which doesn't require users to log in through Instagram. Users can look at posts through the mode, but they won't be able to reply, like, or repost them, obviously, if you're not signed in. And if you are using threads in the EU without being logged in, you will see a single algorithmically populated feed. You can search for accounts, but not seemingly for posts. The article notes, in July, days after Threads launch, Meta had to take, quote, additional steps to prevent EU-based users from using a VPN to access the social network. Dropbox spooks users with a new AI feature that sends data to OpenAI when it's used. So this spread pretty quickly about a new enabled by default Dropbox setting that shares Dropbox data with OpenAI for an AI-powered search feature. But Dropbox says data is only shared if the feature is actively being used says that user data is shared with third-party AI partners isn't used to train AI models and is deleted within 30 days. 
So the CEO of Dropbox apologized for confusion and wrote that the third-party AI toggle in the settings menu enables or disables access to DBX AI features and functionality. DBX is Dropbox. Neither this nor any other setting automatically or passively sends any Dropbox customer data to a third-party AI service. Critics say that communication about the change could have been clearer. So why would Dropbox ever send user data to OpenAI anyway? In July, the company announced an AI-powered feature called Dash that allows AI models to perform universal searches across platforms like Google, Workspace, and Microsoft Outlook. So our next one is quick, but good news for any Discord users. Discord has added security key support to all users to enhance security. So Discord has made security key multi-factor authentication available for all accounts on the platform, bringing significant security and anti-phishing benefits to its 500 plus million registered users. 500 million plus registered users. Discord has now brought the web authentication feature to all Discord users, allowing users to replace the legacy MFA systems that rely on time-based one-time passwords, eight-digit one-time backup codes, and SMS messages carrying a six-digit verification code. Discord users can now go into settings, my account, register a security key, and use web authentication to configure Windows Hello, Apple's Face ID, Touch ID, and hardware security keys for authentications like YubiKeys, NitroKeys, SoloKeys. Just a quick note, it's not in the article, but I noticed, I forget why, but I logged into TikTok for some reason, I think to add pass keys or something, wasn't able to do that. But they also now support TOTP, not security keys, but before it was just SMS. So again, I don't think anyone should have a TikTok, but if you do, there's a better security option now. Next one is a little upsetting, Simple Mobile Tools. So Simple Mobile has a whole suite on the F-Droid App Store as well as the Play Store, but I think most people associate it who are listening to this from F-Droid. Pretty much replaces things like the dialer and your photo gallery. It's a whole suite of apps that you can install on custom ROMs and your standard ROMs as well to replace more of the proprietary counterparts. But they were sold off to Zippo apps and are now marked as containing ads on the Play Store. So this is a story we missed, but it's important, so we're backtracking a little bit. The Google Play Store pages for simple apps are already marked with the contain ads warning, and the open source nature of the apps could come to an end after the acquisition is completed. And there is a forked version of the apps that will stay open source, but to avoid the upcoming changes, users of simple mobile tools apps installed from the Play Store will have to sideload and switch to the forked versions. I'd recommend from F-Droid if they set up an F-Droid repository for those. And the Reddit user suggested that the versions of the apps on F-Droid would probably not be updated and left as is, meaning they would not be affected. So as long as you don't update your apps, you could avoid the changes. And we both think that, but this is actually a worse piece of advice because security patches are important. And after a while, they're going to have security updates and you don't want to be behind on those. So people on Reddit, which we'll have a link to, I'm sure, already have alternatives to simple mobile apps and you can try some of them and see if they work for you. And I do want to mention this wasn't covered here. We were covering this now on surveillance reports. Jonah and I on TechLore Talks last week already talked about this in detail. And we talk about actually some more context behind this because I've had some contact with the, I think the CEO of Simple Mobile Tools when they tried to release a phone and their own Android ROM and how that didn't work out and how I think that actually kind of ties into this and the developer's journey and why they might be letting go of the project. What is that on the same TechLore Talks from Mm -hmm. this most recent one? Yep, same TechLore Talks. I heard that. See, I'm finally listening now that you've uploaded the audio version. Yeah, the audio version came in a little late, (laughs) but the video version's been there. That really helps. (laughs) Video first (laughs) content. But yeah, a lot of context there for people who don't know about Simple. And I'm unfamiliar with a lot of it too. I actually thought it'd be fun to try to interview the guy and see what the happened here, but... Has he not replied yet? I didn't reach out. <laughs> so, oh. Well, consider this us reaching out. And our last company story comes from Ledger. So a supply chain attack targeted Ledger, which is a hardware crypto wallet for those who don't know, and users have been compromised. 
Ledger announced on X slash Twitter that someone had pushed out a malicious version of their Ledger Connect kit, which is a library that decentralized apps made by other companies and projects use to connect to the Ledger wallet service. A genuine version is being pushed to replace the malicious file now, and they warn, do not interact with any dApps for the moment. We will keep you informed. I'm assuming this was a couple days ago, so I'm hoping by now this is good to go. So after the story was published, a Ledger spokesperson spoke with TechCrunch, who is who we're citing for this source, and they said that basically a former Ledger employee was the victim of a phishing attack, which gave attackers access to that employee's NPMJS account, which is a software registry that was acquired by GitHub. From there, the attackers pushed a malicious version of the Ledger Connect kit. The code used a rogue Wallet Connect project to reroute funds to a hacker wallet. Ledger then deployed a fix within 40 minutes of the company becoming aware of the attack. So very quick response time. Good for them. The malicious file, however, was live for around five hours. So could be better. (laughs) But the window where funds were drained was limited to a period of less than two hours, according to the spokesperson. Still a pretty big window for a project as big as Ledger. Ledger also coordinated with Wallet Connect, which quickly disabled the rogue project, essentially stopping the attack. So no research this week. So we're going to go straight into politics. And this is actually going to echo uh, similar things that we've covered in the past. Some context, we talk about the differences between biometric and password passcode passwords, I should say, and which ones are better in different situations. They both have different pros and cons. And we're going to talk about the pros of passcodes, which is suspects can refuse to provide phone passcodes to police, which was ruled by a court. And this is actually echoing a lot of similar cases in the past. So criminal suspects can refuse to provide phone passcodes to police under the U.S. Constitution's Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination, according to a unanimous ruling issued today by Utah State Supreme Court. The questions addressed in the ruling could eventually be taken up by the U.S. Supreme Court, whether through review of this case or a similar one. A lawyer argues that the case may be worthy of Supreme Court review, partly because there's a state Supreme Court split on how the Fifth Amendment privilege applies to orders to compel a password in order to execute a warrant for a phone. The Utah Supreme Court ruling is similar to one from the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, but it conflicts with a ruling by the New Jersey Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, the actual one, taking up the case might only solve half the puzzle, As they wrote, the record in the case is that he was asked to provide the passcode not to enter it, and the issue is whether the government could have testimony on that. If the Supreme Court were to take the case, it might have to only answer the compelled disclosure issue and then save the compelled unlocking issue for another day. So it's kind of a twofold issue with this, and we might actually get a more formal answer as to how much protection you get by only using a password on the device, and maybe down the road we will actually see a formal court case about biometrics. This next story is a big one. CVS, Rite Aid, and Walgreens, and those are all uh, big pharmacy chains in the U.S. if you don't know, hand out medical records to cops without warrants. All of the big pharmacy chains in the U.S. hand over sensitive medical records to law enforcement without a warrant, and some will do so without even running the request by a legal professional according to a congressional investigation. This includes the seven largest pharmacy chains in the U.S., CVS Health, Walgreens Boots Alliance, Cigna, Optum RX, Walmart Stores Inc., The Kroger Company, Rite Aid Corporation, and Amazon Pharmacy. All eight of the pharmacies said they do not require law enforcement to have a warrant prior to sharing private and sensitive medical records, which can include prescription drugs a person used used or uses, and their medical conditions. Instead, all pharmacies hand over such information with nothing more than a subpoena, which can be issued by government agencies and does not require review or approval by a judge. 
Three of the pharmacies, CVS Health, the Kroger Company, and Rite Aid, told lawmakers that they didn't even require their pharmacy staff to consult legal professionals before responding. According to lawmakers, CVS, Kroger, and Rite Aid said that, quote, their pharmacy staff face extreme pressure to immediately respond to law enforcement demands, and as such, the companies instruct their staff to process those requests in-store, unquote. The rest of the pharmacies, which surprisingly includes Amazon, Cigna, OptumRx, Walmart, and Walgreens, at least require that requests be reviewed by legal professionals before they respond, but only Amazon, again surprisingly, said it had a policy of notifying customers of law enforcement demands for pharmacy records unless there were legal prohibitions to doing so, such as a gag order. The lawmakers note that the pharmacies are not violating regulations under HIPAA. The pharmacies pointed to language in HIPAA that allows healthcare providers, including pharmacists, to provide medical records if required by law, with subpoenas being sufficient legal process for a request. However, the lawmakers note that the HHS has discretion in determining the legal standard here. That is, it has the power to strengthen the regulation to require a warrant, which the lawmakers say it should do. So there's a privacy complaint that takes aim at X over EU ads targeted on sensitive data. And this is being lodged with the Dutch Data Protection Authority by privacy rights non-for-profit NOIB. NOIB accuses X of failing to enforce its own advertising guidelines and the terms and conditions prohibits people's political affiliations and or religious beliefs being used to target them with ads and advertisers on its platform. Actually, the European Commission itself, no less, was able to use exactly this kind of sensitive personal data to target users with ads. NOIB already filed a complaint against the commission last month for apparently breaching pan-EU rules it helped to draw up. It's now followed up by filing a complaint against X2 as well as the EU's General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR as many of you know it, setting strict limits on how sensitive personal data such as political affiliation and religious beliefs may be processed, requiring those wanting to do this to obtain the explicit consent of the people in question. The Bloc's recently enacted Digital Services Act stipulates that use of personal data for ad targeting requires consent, yet the users of X whose data was processed were not explicitly asked to agree to this use of their information. Italy's Privacy Shield anti-piracy system has allegedly launched last week, albeit in limited fashion. A new document released by Agcom, and I'm not quite sure who that is, but it describes Piracy Shield as, quote, a single technology platform with automated operation, unquote, and elsewhere as a piece of, quote, machine-to-machine platform management software, unquote. When lawmakers gave Italy's new blocking regime the green light during the summer, the text made it clear that blocking instructions would not be limited to regular ISPs. It will also apply to VPNs and DNS providers, but whether the DNS provider requirement will be affected by Cloudflare's recent win over Sony in Germany is unclear. The decision was grounded in EU law, and Cloudflare has already signaled that it will push back against any future blocking demands. How VPN providers will respond is currently unknown. Demands to block access to certain platforms have been handled differently depending on circumstances and geography. Agcom suggests that Google understands its obligations and is also prepared to take things further. The company says it will de-index offending platforms for search and also remove their ability to advertise. All right, FOSS, free and open source. And last week we talked about how Proton released photo auto backup photos uh, across, I think, at least one operating system. And now Proton gets its own desktop app for ProtonMail. So the encrypted email service has been available to desktop users, but only in the web over a decade ago. And they did have a bridge that was open for paid users to use it in their preferred clients. But the desktop app, the new one, provides offline access and is available directly from the Windows Start menu or Mac OS dock. And it also bundles access to Proton Calendar. 
Alongside the new app, Proton also unveiled a handful of new features that will be available to ProtonMail users on both web and desktop, which includes email auto-forwarding, which enables premium users to set rules to automatically forward messages between ProtonMail accounts while maintaining end-to-end encryption. I do wonder if that's going to be open to external email providers as well. Snooze, which allows users to set reminders to deal with important emails at a later time. I need that. Attachment previews, which serves a glimpse into email attachments from their inbox without having to open it fully. So some cool new features. Okay, our next one, I'm actually pretty excited about. It says automatically tidy up Threema chats. So basically Threema is adding ephemeral messaging. As of now, you can specify a time span after which old chats will be automatically deleted. This way your chats remain tidy and are continuously cleared of old messages that would otherwise take up valuable disk space. Side note, this is also an OPSEC thing because then if your phone ever gets stolen or somehow physically compromised, like, you know, um, the cops force you to unlock it or something. We talked about passcodes earlier. Now your old messages aren't there waiting to incriminate you. While it has been possible to free up disk space by deleting old messages for quite some time, it is no longer to manually trigger the process thanks to the set and forget feature. There are instructions in the article. There are preset options. You can do one week, one month, three months, six months, and one year. They go on to say messages in note groups, open polls, and starred messages on Android will not be automatically deleted. All other messages, including unread messages, voice messages, files, etc., will be irrevocably deleted in due time and you won't have to manually free up space ever again. Really quick one. So Mulvad has added more local currencies to avoid fees to try to keep that five euro price tag. This is to avoid fees with credit cards. Now they support euros, USD, GP, GBP, SEK, AUD, CAD. I know what some of these are. So GPP is uh, British pounds. SEK, I think, is South Korean. AUD is Australian. Australian CAD is Canadian. Canadian CHF, I'm going to say, is probably Swedish. I don't know what DKK is. JPY, Japanese yen. I was going to say, that's probably Japanese. KRW, I think, is... I want to say it's Icelandic, but don't quote me on that. That sounds all right. NOK. And I don't know what NOK and PLN are. NOK is probably Norway K... Ooh, that's probably right. Crowns, Nord- yeah. Norwegian crowns. So everyone's. Oh, is PLN Poland? Maybe I'm not gonna look. I want I want users to let us know if you're like, oh yeah, that's my country. I know what that is. Or even if you just know, like I know what that is. Okay, well I I don't know. I I typed it in, but I put PLN and I got an introspective, open ended clothing line, gradually sampled and defined in fractions, piece by piece. Nothing else came up. So I'm like half interested and half confused <laughs> let's lock in our guesses okay we know euros we know usd i think you're right about uh great great britain pounds great british pounds great yeah. british pounds. i know that one i know australian i know canadian okay yeah those, those are the only ones well. i'm like dead positive of so chf i'm gonna say check because i did look up czech republic so i'm gonna say Czechia f is my but guess. also ch is the country code for switzerland is it yes okay so it could be switzerland DKK, I think, is definitely Denmark. Oh, yes. That's a good one. Denmark that's a good guess. K, yeah, Denmark crowns. Japanese yen. It's weird how many countries call their, their currency crowns. And then what's KRW? I think you said that one. No, you... Or, yeah, I said that was... I think that was Iceland. Yeah, I think you said Iceland. And then NOK is Norway. And then Poland N. SEK, I think, is South Korea. That makes sense. I'll also throw or, in ooh, you know, Singapore. No, 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 no. I'll it throw could in be Singapore Swedish into crowns. that, too, because why not? It could be Swedish crowns. Oh, I think that's more likely. Well, let's see it. So then CHF would be Czechia. Switzerland. Sweden and Switzerland are two different places. Mix them up up in my head. But it could also be Czechia. You could be right. Okay. All right. Well, those are our, we we threw in our our guesses. We're not going to look. So everyone in the comments is going to have to correct us on this. And give us give us the correct answer. That's all we got for this week. So we talked about the story about how your phone 
might be listening to you, but also that could just be marketing BS. So hopefully we've uh, allayed some fears there. If we hear anything, we will definitely keep you updated because that is a very concerning story if it's true. Google is putting some roadblocks up for geolocation warrants, which are great because those have been out of control. We talked about simple mobile tools being sold. So hopefully those of you who haven't heard about that are now aware. Definitely go check that article in the links and find some alternatives and much, much more. And as always, if we hear any updates on any of these stories, we will pass them along to you. So as always, this podcast takes a lot of our time to prepare for, to gather the stories, take the notes, film, edit, the whole nine. If you want to keep us going, we have Patreon. We have $5 a month. Ask us a question. $10 a month, you get the extended version. We definitely went on some rants this week, so I recommend checking that out, especially if you never have before. If you don't like Patreon and you don't care about perks, which again, I totally understand, we have LibrePay. And if you want the maximum amount of privacy and anonymity, we have Monero. And as I just want to reiterate, I understand not everybody's made of money. I get it. Times are tough. And also it's the holidays. Just, you know, spreading the podcast around, sharing it, especially if you timestamp a story that might apply to a loved one in your life and be like, hey, check out this story. You may not know this is happening. That is uh, hugely helpful to get the word out there and help us spread the message of privacy. So thank you guys so much for listening to Surveillance Report. Make sure you are subscribed. Give us a rating if you're on a platform where that is an option. I don't know if we'll be back next week because I think that's Christmas, but we'll figure that out after recording. And if we don't see you next week, then we'll see you next year. And thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you whenever the next time is.